Welcome to the podcast, Denise Neary from Ancestry.com. It's great to have you here today. Delighted to be here. Thanks, Nish. Fantastic. Uh, so I know you were in lovely Dublin, Ireland this morning. I am in Ottawa, Canada. We are both, um, you know, chilly this morning because the uh, the winter has uh, winter has come and it is set in for for both of us. So I'm I'm looking forward to this conversation because whenever I'm talking about creative operations, somebody who's been in the field for a while like you have, uh, it always gets my juices flowing and uh, it definitely uh, starts to warm me up. Same, same here. It gets us fired up and passionate. So yeah, I'm, I'm delighted to have this conversation with you. All right, good. So uh, why don't we start off like I always like to do when I'm talking to an expert in the field, a little bit of context so the audience can sort of start to paint a picture for themselves um, and put everything else that you're going to share with us today uh, into the right context. So Tell us a little bit about, you know, uh, I think most of us have probably um, are familiar with Ancestry.com or at least have heard of it, but tell us a little bit about what Ancestry.com is and does. Uh, and then maybe you could tell us a little bit about, you know, what, um, what is Creative Operations at Ancestry today? Yeah, sure. So Ancestry is uh, the largest online collection of family history records, and it's also at its heart a discovery company. Um, we've launched a DNA product, which is hugely successful in the personal uh, consumer genomics sphere, and most recently in the US, um, launched a health product. So Ancestry has been around in excess of 15 years. Um, it's gone from a magazine and transitioned into the online space um, rather beautifully. And with that legacy company knowledge, um, surfaces a whole lot of opportunity. So creative operations as it's set up in the international um, team is comprised of an internal small team um, which work with the multiplicity of um, agencies externally. That's very different to our mothership um, in the US and San Francisco. We've got a large dedicated creative team which are managed by the project manage creative operations management team um, there. So it's all kind of co-located versus um, in international quite a different and dynamic setup which brings its own absolutely amazing opportunities and equally challenges. All right, fantastic. So uh, that's one of the things I found most interesting when we were speaking uh, about a month ago is that um, I haven't really come across any other company that I can think of where it does have that combination of both and in-house team um, with its own creative staff, uh, as well as uh, within the same organization, a team that's working primarily with external agencies. So I want to dig into that uh, a little bit more and sort of how that relationship works between the two entities within Ancestry and any sort of you know, differences you might see from a creative operations perspective or an execution perspective, I think will be interesting for our audience to hear about, because certainly in uh, in the world today, uh, in the context of creative operations, we're just seeing this sort of back and forth between, you know, send everything out to the agencies versus bring everything back in-house to an in-house agency. And now this emerging model of some sort of hybrid. Um, so let's dig into that um, in a little bit, but, you know, a little bit more context. So would it be fair to say Ancestry is primarily an online business and does that then translate into the type of content you're producing is it primarily digital or are you producing content across all the channels like video 
print point of uh, sale, I guess in this case, billboards and things like that, or is it limited to digital content production? Well, we're digital first, for sure. Um, as it is a website, we want to make sure that our, our user experience um, and online journey for our customers is as wonderful as it can be and hyper engaging. And then that has to be mirrored out across multiple channels. So we absolutely have a large volume of the work um, that I manage is in digital channels, um, paid or earned and owned. Um, and then we also do quite a lot of above the line activity. And we're really cautious, conscious and sensitive in that space as well, that we're kind of representing um, ancestry in really beautiful and authentic ways across multiple markets. Um, so as I might've mentioned, the international setup um, works with the UK, Ireland, Sweden, Germany, Australia, and Canada. Um, and in those, they partner primarily with external agencies um, and those those agencies really help reflect the authenticity of each geo so rather than having separate creative for each team um, they have the the privilege i guess of working with in-house marketing and creative um, marketing and creative agencies that really help them develop down further the core communications that come from the US market and make them really nuanced um, and colorful and, and vibrant to have local resonance. So I, I think that's kind of the reason we've gone with our hybrid model. Okay, interesting. Um, and so just a couple more questions on context, turning our attention now more towards you as an individual. Um, how did you come to the role of creative operations? Did you come to it from the creative side of the house? You know, I've talked to a lot of people um, in the creative ops role who started off in a graphic designer role or a video production role, and then over time evolved into a creative ops role. Or did you come to it from a project management background? So project management, for sure. Um, I've been with Ancestry, a part of the Ancestry family, as we like to refer to it, um, for almost eight years. Um, and it's been a fantastic experience. I come very much kind of with a business mind. Um, so I graduated with my master's in business management, um, worked in a couple of companies before Ancestry, and then kind of really found my niche here. Um, I started as the marketing operations manager, which was a fantastic opportunity because I worked with front-end developers from creative delivery to live, essentially, um, and managed that production process and got my hands on code in a really rudimentary um, fashion. But, but I got a really great in-depth understanding of what it takes then to take our wonderful creative and translate that into a live environment. Um, and that for me was a really fantastic baptism in understanding how to sit in the center of art, technology and process. Um, so then after that, within the same company and within uh, the same team structure, I moved to program management, which was more end to end. Really helpful as you can kind of start to understand. Uh, really great to see what it takes for the marketing teams to kind of rally the troops, understand um, customer insights and how to move, how to be agile, what kind of assets they want out there in the world and manage that right through to final delivery kind of QC wrap up, making sure that we have any data feeding back into that um, overall loop. 
Um, then about three years ago, an opportunity came up to work for the senior director of um, creative operations, um, who's based in San Francisco, who remains my boss. She's awesome, Janine. Um, and I thought it was one that I couldn't turn down. So that was to really be hyper-focused on creative. And at that time, it was very much creative project management. So really in the last four years, I've seen huge shifts in terms of diversity and the amplification of assets, um, which, which mean that you know we need that trafficking job, we need all of these other jobs, but most important is like process, I suppose. So, so that's where I found kind of my biggest passion um, is understanding how to collaborate, how to make sure that we're feeding in with all of these different data input, inputs um, and ultimately preserving the creative process so we're delivering as efficiently, as effectively and, and as, as, um, as well as possible, making sure that I guess we're just collaborating really well. So. Okay, so uh, that's interesting. So creative operations started off in the, uh, as you said, the mothership, the San Francisco office, and then it sort of uh, spidered out to the rest of the world operations. Would you say that it used to be, um, before you came into this role of creative operations, uh, you used the term creative project management? Um, was that the focus previously? And what do you see as the difference, if any, between creative project management and creative operations? Or is it, this, is it just different terminology for the same thing? I don't think it's different terminology, but I do think both interplay really well. And I think sometimes my job has to be more of a project management role. <laughs> and sometimes the, the privilege is getting up out of the weeds and it being more operations. So the way that I will always see see myself, and I know we spoke about this previously, I, I feel like you gave, um, and if anyone hasn't checked it out, they should, uh, in a, a YouTube clip I saw of you where it's like how to get your CMO to care about creative operations. Um, it, you gave a fantastic vocabulary that allowed me to really relook at how I approached my job. So it's kind of organically happening anyway, to be honest. We, you know, there's no way to manage the Wild West that is creative production um, unless you kind of adopt a process that allows you to flex up from that. But I think the huge difference between a creative project management role and a creative operations role is that in project management, we're about getting it done on time um, and delivered and transparency and all of the important work that has to happen um, for our customers ultimately to be happy. And by that, I mean internal. Uh, Whereas a creative operations mindset, I suppose, allows you to be flexible, allows you to understand and be hyper engaged with the right teams at the right time. Know that technology is really important. It's really great to speak multiple languages, that, that being front end developers have a certain way of looking at the world. So do the creatives, so do the business people in the room. So it's being able, I think, to have that really exciting conversation at, at Interplay um, and push that forward. Re ultimately, you're still trying to achieve the same goal, but you have a more engaged audience, more collaboration, more understanding and nuance, and you're always trying to iterate on, on best performance, I feel. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, what I'm sort of hearing as you're talking about that is uh, part of the role is almost like a uh, 
United Nations translator where you're ensuring that all the different parts um, of the process and the people involved in all those parts are able to, even if they can't understand each other, that you understand what each one's role and job is and how they think about getting that job done and what they're driven by. Um, and you're that diplomat. Uh, so not even a translator who's going, well, here's what it means in English and here's what it gets translated to in French or Dutch or um, you know Mandarin, but it's really just sort of being that diplomat of, well, we all want to get to the same place and we all have a role to play and how do you sort of bring everyone along for that journey? Exactly, exactly that. And I think everyone comes at it with their own unique perspective. Um, traditionally, we will see like from a uh, coding perspective, it's quite black and white. And of course, the, the color and um, conversation that comes with creative. But each person has a seat at that table. And it's really important that we're 100% compliant with the latest and best um, in terms of our output but we're also experimenting where we need to ex experiment um, and, and people feel free to kind of have that conversation. And, and ultimately that we're always conscious of like return on what we're doing. Um, we're not just chasing everything that's, that's there because I mean, we have an infinite number of channels and opportunities and creative spaces and digital places to play in. Um, but we have to be selective. And that's where I've seen a fantastic transition, even between this year and last, where we're really sitting in what we know, experimenting where we need to, and allocating the right time and resource to do those things. So we're absolutely layering on um, consumer insights and data, and we're making sure that all of our briefing goes through that strategic process that the output then doesn't get magnified at the very end. Um, I think previously, and I think this is not uncommon to, to other businesses, it gets so exciting. I mean, the, the outburst of all of the digital media spaces you can now play in gets so exciting that sometimes you want to just be there and show up and it might be your best work. Um, and now we're just pruning that down a little bit. And I think it, it's having a better effect. So to uh, sort of pick up on that in terms of making sure that things aren't uh, magnified or just the scope of work isn't increased at the end is what I think I heard. Um, do you, does that mean that you're sort of looking at the, um, the plan, the things that are being requested through the lens of how is this type of content or campaign performed in the past and making sure that the things you're being asked to do and you're agreeing to do are going to actually have a, an impact and a return that matters from a business perspective. Absolutely. Um, and I do think we're kind of at infant stages of doing that, um, but that's being fully supported now. It's building on what works well for us. We know that, I mean, there's fantastic knowledge in this company. Um, there's, there's amazing ideas and there's beautiful executions, which we're all very proud of. But I think, as I mentioned earlier, having that local sensitivity and nuance is really, really important to us. I mean, ultimately we tell family stories and it has to feel relevant. It has to feel authentic and something that the, our users can connect to. 
And that's why it's really important that we're represented across all of our geos um, in, a, in a very nuanced way. But at the same time, kind of dialing up from that a little bit, we can see what's been effective in markets. It might be the final execution, but it's all of the work that goes behind it. So the, the strategy, the process, all of that work can be leveraged to be successful across multiple territories. So rather than creating everything, you know, seven or eight different times, it's creating it once and drilling it down and having that lovely blend of local relevance, but efficiency for, for ourselves. Okay, that's really good. So um, I love the fact that you're looking at like, you know, what kind of impact is this going to have? Because it's got to tie back to the business. Uh, I find way too often I'm um, creative operations teams. One of the things that they're, a couple of things that they're struggling with that are related. One is, is that they end up producing work and sometimes they're, they're either willfully or, um, I guess, you know, not at their own choosing, sort of blind to, well, what does this all actually result in? That video that we did or the, that series of video spots we did, what did it actually do in market? Did people view it? Did they end up going to our website? Did they end up doing something that matters to the business? Like, did they purchase something or sign up for something? Uh, so it's great that you're looking at that because I think that allows you to, from a planning perspective, take a much more strategic approach and ensure that the work that you're doing is going to have a chance at um, producing return on investment. And the second related thing, and um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is a lot of what I hear from in-house agencies where they're just producing everything in-house is it's often sort of evolved into this master-servant relationship with the organization where they just the the notion is almost like they they have to or they do say yes to absolutely every request um and i'm finding that you know there's a couple of like really good in-house agencies who are like you, you are they're looking at you know how is this type of work actually performed in market previously and they're using that to then you know push back and reposition reposition themselves and not as a service bureau where things just sort of get chucked over and the expectation is it'll get done, but really more as a strategic partner. Do you find because you are working with external agencies and I assume that, you know, there's a statement of work and dollars are going from your unit out to those external agencies to produce work that that just naturally lends itself to more deliberate planning and thought upfront? Yeah, it's a great question. I was smiling the whole way along because it's familiar territory um, to me to understand that sometimes agency feels like feel like they're the execution and it's kind of yes of course they are <laughs> responsible for ultimately executing on a brief but what has just been I think some of I guess our, our proudest moments in this year for sure um, have been working with the agencies to exactly as you said leverage their strategic response so we no longer are going out with this dry list of deliverables. Of course, that work, and we're really familiar with it. And again, you know, there's huge expertise and lots of legacy knowledge within the company. Um, so we know our recommendations. We know where we would imagine our like general vague asset requests going to look like. But we start a conversation, 
And for me, even though it's a small in-house team in international, I feel like I've extended out, um, you know, by 2030 because I work really closely with all of these agencies. And it's important to understand that they have a voice and a position as well. So of course, things are wrapped up in, you know, statements of work and all of that sort of thing. But we don't um, use that as the only tool necessarily to kind of get get the output. We very much set up our conversations in the briefing and pre-briefing around strategic response and allow and enable and encourage um, our agencies to have that response, be part of the conversation, immerse themselves in the customer mindset and understand how they can amplify that wonderful spark of a creative idea across many different channels and networks. And of course, supplementary to that is some of the functional stuff like, <laughs> you know, we need to deliver this to this um, that we signed off in the plan, etc. And, and that's just our BAU. But where it gets really exciting is where you open up your list of mandatories to your external partners and have that fresh perspective, have that industry view. I mean, they're working across um, multiple fantastic businesses as well. So, so there's lots of things that they're doing as a touch point um, and lots of knowledge that they bring to the table. Fantastic. Um, and I, I want to come back to process and sort of how you think about like, um, you know, how do you go about creating process? Do you document it? What are the, I'm just going to throw a bunch of stuff out there and we'll just sort of work through it. Like, so how do you think about like documenting process? What are the signals for you that maybe a process needs to be revisited? Like it could be broken or maybe it is broken, you're not sure. Like who's involved in those discussions and um, how do you ensure that process is something that you're always staying on top of? Because as we know in this, in this world, like processes, you know, really that it's that map for how are we gonna get work done? And the last bit I'll add on um, is you've got your small internal team uh, for the global operations, and then you work with a number of external agencies. How does process work in that world? Is it your process that the agencies are then adhering to for how different types of work gets executed on? Do you adopt the agency's process or is it, you know, a combination of both? Okay. Um, great questions. You might have to remind me of some of them, if I'm honest. But I will, I will start with um, process being a living, breathing thing at Ancestry, and it, and it truly is. I think, um, you know, we're in a profoundly different landscape than we were three, four, five years ago. Um, and the only way that we can do that is we launch, as I mentioned, it's not relevant for international, but as we launch new products or as we emerge in different markets, etc. it's really important that we look and revisit and hold processes like our key to the kingdom. Um, so we have some established markets and then we have some newer markets. And that's the fascinating thing, I think, about working in the international environment. You're exposed to markets at different levels of growth and uptake, and you can really understand and have that open view effect when you work across these multiple territories. Some, the marketing job is much easier. Some, the marketing job is an education job as well, and they're intertwined. Um, so having that historic knowledge is really helpful. 
process is documented and um, we work through, we kind of funnel some of our work. So CRM and our on-site work through our internal team. So that's a very kind of standard process that has been in place for many years. Um, and then where we can get really agile is how we work in our, our um, earned channels. So more like our performance, how do we create a process that establishes that content, um, the voracious appetite they have for content, how do we resupply, how do we make sure that we're looking at what's performing best and iterating on that um, and, and funneling that out across territories as well. Um, so it's one of the things that I'm working most um, voraciously and actively on at the moment is trying to figure out as we work in new and emerging countries, Germany is a good example, we've had a presence there for a number of years, but we're kind of getting back into our customers' mindsets really firmly there at the moment. And we're doing a lot of an education piece too, so it's quite different. Um, process has to be very agile. We need to be able to get to market there quite quickly. We need to be able to respond to customers' needs as they emerge and to give them that gentle guidance um, through our creative, through our content, um, and reassurance around our product because it's, it's such a new territory. Whereas in the UK, it's slightly different. So process is documented, but it's ever evolving. And our team has grown, um, not specifically my team, but our international team has grown and we've added new layers onto our team, um, which has been fantastic. But we also need to find a way to get that rich knowledge. So again, as I've referenced, working with insights more, working with our analytics team more, um, looking at fresh eyes, with fresh eyes at everything that we're doing. Um, so I was just onboarding someone yesterday and what was fantastic for me as someone who's been here a number of years was looking at their view of what we do and how we do it. And I, I do think that um, we have a slick, well-oiled process in our core markets, in our emerging markets, we need to be reactive and responsive. So we have to have our finger on the pulse of that um, and be able to pivot. And I think that's what a really robust process allows for. Um, it is something that we want to solidify and make sure that everyone's aware of, but I'm very fortunate at the moment. There's a lot of kind of senior buy-in around not just establishing a process, but just making sure that we're doing those triage checks, that if process is derailed or broken in one country or one channel, that we are able to quickly reinvent it, circulate it out and have people buy in. And then I think you asked about um, process, internal versus external. Um, so again, has been actually before we get to that, I just want to pick up on. Um, so again, I'm I'm loving uh, learning about all this, and I think what I'm hearing is like, you don't necessarily just think about process in terms of how do we produce a piece of video content or how do we produce a um, uh, a billboard asset or something like that. I'm almost hearing like you think a process first as, you know, what are the needs of the business like Germany because of where that market is at for you and what you want to achieve there as a business, you, you sort of look at, you know, what's the maturity of our business there? What type of, what's the profile of the customer? How do we need to be able to engage them? And it sounds like that one's got sort of a, um, it's got a fairly fast pace right now. So it's, you know, high velocity 
versus other markets like the United Kingdom, where it's a little bit more mature and established. So perhaps um, it doesn't have that same velocity. But it, am I correct in assuming that you first sort of think a process as what's the type of business that we're building in this market? And how does the creative work that we're producing need to be produced to support that? Right, exactly that. And I think it's about, um, exactly as you said, but it's, it's also about leveraging our internal expertise in slightly different ways. So making sure that there's not just one, you know, on a whiteboard somewhere, line of process, check mark, check mark, check mark. Um, but that maybe we over index on customer experience or UX or who, whoever it is that's really important to that market. And we spend a lot of time with them at the, the beginning of a project. Um, or, you know, we go very simply and we just are doing what we do as BAU and that can run out the door. So it's just being very sensitive and I think empathetic to what are the needs of the market? What are the needs of the people who work within that market? And how do we, as creative operations, come full circle and really support, leverage, and engage? Oh, that's fantastic. I, I can see why at uh, Ancestry that um, the creative teams or your team that's working with external agencies, it's not looked at as sort of a, a service desk. It's, um, I get the sense that you're you and your counterparts on the creative operations side are taking a much more thoughtful and strategic approach and in turn you're probably just you're viewed by the business as being a strategic asset versus well let's just send it over the wall and somebody will put together the photoshop design file or the 30 second video uh, so i'm loving what i'm hearing and i um i hope for anybody out there who's listening to this on creative ops teams that uh they're also taking notes because these are the types of things like approaching process in that way where it's you know shaped around the needs of the business and to the markets like you're talking about um, allows them to think and operate and be positioned within the organization much more strategically so that's that's all fantastic um, now what are the signals you're then looking for to allow you to determine you know is a process healthy uh, is it something we need to look at? Uh, you know, you had a new person that you're onboarding yesterday, so perhaps they're looking with a fresh set of eyes, but, you know, if you don't have that new person coming in and going, well, what about this? Um, are there any sort of things that are those signals for you, or is it just done on sort of a set cycle where you will revisit process? And then tied to that, who's involved in, you know, saying if you decide, we do need to revamp this process. Who gets involved in that? Yeah, great question. Um, so I guess for me, process is always front of mind. So I suppose in a way it's not, you know, on a quarterly basis, we need to revisit it. Although we would expect these touch points of when um, we, you know, publicize that we've revisited. So we kind of expect, I guess, that on at least quarterly, we're looking at what we did, what we created, how effective it was, and what retrospectives, just from more of a um, empathetic kind of way. So how did, how did you feel um, about this process? How did, were teams overburdened? Did you feel like you had enough communication? You know, there's the, there's the basics of what we do that um, we assess really regularly. 
And I think one of the things as I work with new channels and, and new agencies, it's making sure that you're just always on that, that you're able to have that conversation, hang on five minutes after everyone's hung up and go, this doesn't feel right. So it's, I'm, you know, I think that's really important. It's don't let it trundle on, I would feel. Um, make sure that you're nipping it in the bud and that you're aware and sensitive and I guess open to your process not being great. So it's something that I do regularly. <laughs> in fact, I think I was sending emails last night about this. Um, just where, where teams maybe change their mind last minute or have like those last minute requests. Um, I'm very fortunate, my partner is a creative designer, so uh, it's really helpful that I know how much work it takes to design something and I can have that extra layer of sensitivity. And I think in a marketing world, sometimes we go, that's a quick change and it's not and it's really nice for me to be able to tell people that quick change you requested is going to take 10 hours to execute are you sure you want to make it and nine times out of ten they don't um so i think there's that you know stop catch change kind of moments um and then every two weeks again i feel very blessed. Uh, I get to meet with one of our senior leaders um, and talk about process, talk about how things are going across the international markets. Um, it's, it's part of a wider project that we're currently kind of working on together, but it is something that's absolutely front of mind um, for her and someone, again, who can make significant changes um, if, if and when they need to be made. So I feel like there's absolute buy-in that process is how we live and breathe is kind of our operating system in the international. And we are a legacy company built on huge knowledge. Um, but part of that in the international spaces, we're really ambitious and we're startup mentality as well. So it's like, how do we make sure those two things are never at odds? Um, and I think we're, we're blessed in that, again, Mothership has that knowledge they've worked on huge, like the US team support just a huge volume of work. Um, but we are liberated in the international space to, to really assess process and to devise it however we see fit. And I think that's an absolute privilege. And I think it relates back to your question of whether we ancestry trumps the external agency process or how does that work? Um, again, that's kind of we, we balance things out. So right now in one territory, in one channel, um, which is a really large one, so digital on-site stuff, um, we're working on their own systems. So they so we have Workfront as our internal tool, um, which kicks off a project and adds that layer of transparency so everyone knows where it's at and can kind of cohesively give feedback. But um, we're trialing out a tool with one of our agencies, which is their tool, really fantastic, really robust. And we're trying to figure out whether that's the right discipline for us to be in as a team, or whether as you can probably hear, we're more kind of fluid um, type people. So we're, I guess we're, we're trialing out new things and learning new things and having those sideline important conversations that just make sure that we're all feeling super engaged and involved. Yeah, so I, I find this whole arena of um, when I talk to teams that are working with external agencies, and it's always if they are working with external agencies, it's uh, usually the case, it's multiple agencies they're working with, and how they sort of rationalize that whole notion of, you know, whose process is it, or there's sort of multiple processes, and what kind of, um, 
what kind of friction does that add? Like if you're sort of adapting to uh, different agencies processes, does that mean that your team has to learn different process, like multiple processes right. for doing the same thing? And, and then how does that sort of, and you're sort of uh, touching on that there with mentioning a couple of different technologies, because the technology is not the first thing you think about, but it's sort of the um, almost that uh, enabling mechanism to allow you to reinforce and codify process. So the same thing on the technology front when you're working with multiple agencies, is it do you bring the technology to the table or do the agencies bring it? And does that mean that you and your team are now sort of toggling across multiple different project management systems and other tools of the same kind, but you have to just learn and be comfortable with different tools and what kind of friction does that add to the job? It's a great question because it's not one I'm unfamiliar with. Um, for sure, I think, I think um, technology underpins what we do and it takes away that huge need for transparency in the traditional kind of project management work, that, that heavy load. Um, and we're hoping <laughs> with advances in like AI, we're hoping that there'll be one tool that solves them all, but I don't think there ever is. Um, so we work with uh, Workfront and then we um, plug into the dam, which is through Widen. Um, and, and Workfront's a great tool. I think in my experience, it works really well for internal only setups. Um, there's more challenges when you diversify against agency. And, and yeah, you mentioned whether they have their own and you want to embed them in yours. Um, how I approach it is we're right now setting ourselves up for a great 2020. And some of that is experimentation in different ways of working. And some of that is you know the basics of getting everything right and getting everything checked off and, and approved in a really engaging way. I feel like when I even said checked off, I kind of repulsed myself because it should never be that. And to go back to, to why we're even here, we tell family stories. Um, and we always have to have that level of feeling in even the way we approach our technology. Like it should feel engaging. It should feel um, like something, and the process around it should feel kind of warm and um, allow people to bring their best selves to whatever it is, whether it's annotating a tool and we do that in a fun way in a meeting, um, or it's, you know, let's take that off all of the creative, all of the strategy people and just plug that in as a very basic function that we own. We do kind of multiple um, ways of working around that. So we'll have the standard kind of three rounds of approval when it gets down to the nitty gritty, legal compliance, et cetera. Um, we wouldn't have any of our marketing teams even look at that stuff because it's important that they're always feeling invigorated and excited about the next thing. Um, I think I think a tool that really works for our particular hybrid setup is one that we're yet to find. Um, but it's important, I guess, to experiment and report back. And that's part of that wider project. Um, it's trying to see what we can get our core teams working on versus what maybe the more agile teams need to work on. Um, and I guess really understanding what do we need out of that tool. So there will be in 2020 some significant shifts which come from the, our US team in terms of what tools we work on. And we haven't 
seen how that will be um, waterfalled down to us yet. But I, I, I genuinely like to approach, and I do think it's actually really helpful if you approach it kind of embracing it and understanding we're not going to know how powerful this can be until we work in it. Um, that's not to say we want everyone switching in and out of different tools every couple of months or years. Um, but at the same time, as technology evolves, as we evolve in what we do, we need to be open to that happening. Um, so it's kind of a woolly answer to a specific question, but I do think we work with what we've got and we make the best of it. Um, the Google Drive has been an absolute savior for us. So it's just, there's no kind of huge email swimming around in, in everyone's inboxes. We have our central resources and repositories so everyone can feel engaged and transparent and that burden is taken off of me. Um, but at the same time, I think it's about creating the fun around the framework. That is, uh, well, I think that's a good place for us to, um, you know, start to bring this to an end. That I, I loved everything you just shared there because, um, you know, for a self-serving reason, it makes me think that we'll definitely do a follow-up um, interview with you maybe halfway through 2020, uh, see how you're doing on maybe rolling out some of these new technologies. Uh, I want to come back and revisit metrics with you at some point in 2020. I love the fact that earlier you were talking about like, you know, um, you know, asking people how they feel. Um, anyone that's listened to any of my previous episodes knows that uh, I am a big proponent of uh, metrics, 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 but um, being, you know, those signals that creative ops teams are using to help them understand are things healthy, not healthy? Do we need to revisit you know, process, technology, any number of other things involved in the job of creative operations. But equally, um, I think metrics are nothing more than just that. They're signals. They're not answers. And you need to marry it with, as you're doing, um, empathy, I think is the word you used, and asking people how they're feeling about things. Because ultimately, this is, you know, human beings who are doing this work. And as you've... Um, repeatedly share with us today this is about telling stories uh which is a very human activity so uh i definitely want to come back and revisit that in 2020 um and uh just sort of see how things are evolving on your creative ops team there and how um the partnership is working with your u.s counterpart so to sort of wrap us up for today a uh, a fun little question if we could uh, this has all been fun for me, but uh, something a little bit more lighthearted. Um, I'm a big, um, you know, superhero geek. Um, okay. And, uh, so if, <laughs> I'm uh, not. Okay. You know, okay. Well, um, well, we all understand superheroes and they all have special powers. So um, if the X-Men um, were recruiting for a uh, somebody to play the role of you know, captain creative operations on their team because they decided, you know, like every other good team and brand that uh, creative operations is a vitally important role. Um, and you were asked to, you know, fill the role of captain creative operations for the X-Men. What superpower are you bringing to the table? Okay, that's a great question. And I think we just touched on it. Um, empathy, meaningful connections, and I guess the power of empowering others. 
I like that. And that sort of goes back to what you're talking about, the role of creative operations, which is you're sort of that diplomat, you're tying all the pieces together and any really good diplomat uh, that you hear about or read about uh, always has a great deal of empathy. They need to because they need to understand others and so they can help each other understand um, you know, what their role is and how they're feeling about things so everybody can get to a common destination together. So I, I, I love that superpower and uh, I wish... Uh, I wish the world had uh, had more of that, especially today. So that's a fantastic one. Um, so Denise, thank you very much for joining today. This has been very valuable and I've learned a lot through it. Uh, and I'm sure that the uh, listeners will as well. And I look forward to following up on this in uh, 2020. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here and, and me too.